Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of MTG Rants, and uh, if you like preview season, if you like spoilers, this is probably one of your favorite episodes every what? Like, it feels like almost every other week now with the, the speed at which sets comes out, but uh, we're going to be doing, uh, which episode is this one going to be, Ross? I don't know, like 104? No, I didn't mean that, I didn't mean numerically, like what are we doing on this episode? Oh, that's a, okay, we are doing our top eight cards for Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. Yeah, and we're going to have a little twist on it this time. It's going to be a little bit different than usual. Usually what it is is Ross has his top eight, however misguided that is, and then I have my top eight to show you what it really looks like when you preview cards, and then we compare. Uh, There's a little bit of a problem with that this time around. Ross and I, uh, before the shows, we usually look at each other's top eights together just to make sure, oh, I completely forgot this card existed, because that's definitely happened before on my end. And it's like I scrambled to put it somewhere in my top eight. Or we wanted to make sure, you know, where the overlap is so we can kind of you know, know that going forward so we know how to how to talk about the cards. The problem with this one was it was almost mono overlap on our top eight. I think we had about like one card different. It was one or two, yeah. And our ratings were almost exactly the same across the board. So what we're going to do is we're just going to read down a list of eight cards, about eight or nine cards, because uh, you and I drastically differed on like one of them. Or like I had a card on my list yeah. that you oh, did. I'm, I'm going to do list. my top eight and then you at the end can tell me where sure. I screwed up. Yeah, I'll, I'll add a card in, right? Yeah. And then we'll, we'll do that, and then we'll talk about some cards we think are maybe slightly overrated, some cards that are underrated. So this is going to be more of a collaborative effort than we've had in the past. So maybe not as much competition this time, but you'll see it. With the way that the list kind of shakes out, we were so close. Like, if our cards yeah. weren't at the same number, it was like my six was your seven, your one was my two, and my two was your one. Which at that point, it's like, you know... Yeah, we had... Whatever. Yeah, right? So, um... Before we get into that, you've got SCG Philly coming up this week, and you're still going, right? I am, and it is making my week much more hectic. You know, I haven't, I, I kind of forgot that it was coming up. It snuck up on me. And so I was like scrambling to get all the cards I needed yesterday. We're recording this on a Wednesday, by the way, because we're, we're actually leaving after Versus on Thursday. Oh, wow. Don't you miss having me around now? You, you don't just get to message me, hey, I need this. I'm like, yeah, you're good. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Well, I and, you know, I, I have a, a store, a, a pile of store credit at SCG, so I just bought almost everything I needed. And uh, Corey had a, the last two, uh, two cards that they were missing. So I'm all set for there, but I'm just kind of I, – I forgot we were also – we're leaving Thursday after Versus. We're getting there a little early. Um, and so I just had less time than I thought. So it's been it's going to be a long day today, Wednesday, in, in the middle of, of getting yeah. getting all the things done that I need to get done. And we had mainly stuff around in. the house, you know, that I don't want to leave there for the entire weekend while I'm gone. You had to fit the show in before getting you know, yeah. cause you're leaving tomorrow. So you're like, hey, like we just desperately need to do it on Wednesday. It's like the only time I have time to do it. So, yeah, otherwise I'd have loved to just do this tomorrow evening. But yeah, uh, so. Yeah, uh, you, you think after years of, you know, traveling to tournaments week in and week out, I'd be used to it. But at now, after two years of not doing that, <laughs> it's like, I'm a mess. It's like, yeah, I'm oh, a mess. yeah, complete mess. No idea how to budget my time at all. Um, and, and really just no sense of elapsed time. So, like, I knew that there was a Philly was coming up at some point. I was like, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, it's in like three weeks, right? Like, actually, it's in three days. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually super excited about Philly happening this weekend. But believe it or not, it's not because of the Magic-related stuff. I, I am excited about the Magic-related stuff. I'm super excited to play uh, Neon Destiny on Arena tomorrow. I'm going to draft like crazy. My stream is going to go live. So this will probably be going live after that. But I will be streaming as much as I possibly can. There is the uh, the Flesh and Blood event going on on Sunday there, a Battle Hardened. And so this is like a super PTQ for people at Magic that want to know the direct correlation. You know, it's like the Sunday PTQs that would happen at 
GPs back in the day where you'd get like hundreds of people. They're way bigger, way harder in general. But it's the first foray into the new constructed format with there's been an errata on a hero. There's been some bands and a new set just came out like it dropped on Friday. And so, you know, the new cards are out. And so I want to see what's going on. You know, what's going to be popular at these events coming up because it's kind of important to me to know those kind of things. So I am very excited to see what happens in those events. But we're here to talk about magic. Before we get in these top eight lists, make sure that you check out our sponsor, Barrister and Man. That's man with two ends. Barristerandman.com for all your shaving, cologne, uh, soap needs. Lots of really, really good and unique uh, flavors and scents on that website. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Diamond Collection when baseball season comes around. I wonder if they're going to take it back out of the vault again this year. If they do, it's usually for a limited amount. So make sure you get the Diamond Collection. If you can, tell them Tannen sent you. But make sure you use the code MTGRANT2022 for 15% off. I got that right, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do, do we get a bonus for hooking Elliot on, uh, on Barristern Man? I don't know. But yeah, I was going to say, Elliot Raff, uh, judge extraordinaire and you know quite a good player in his day as well, uh, tried out some Barristern Man products last week for the first time. And he said he is a customer for life now. He had to, he had to shave his beard for a play that he is performing in that's coming up soon. I wish I could go. They're actually, uh, their opening night for them is tomorrow. Uh, and so we're going to see them next week, or see them next week. It's a, just a two-week run, so Thursday through Sunday, two weekends. Uh, doing a little community theater production, and it is, needs to be clean-shaven for it. So it was the first time he had shaved his beard in several years, and he posted the picture in our Rona group chat, and he definitely had some razor burn, and I was like, dude, come, come over here. Let yeah. me give you some stuff, and it'll be a lot better. <laughs> And it's funny that you say that because I used to, you know, suffer from the same thing. I would get razor burn. I get like the little red splotches on my skin when I would shave. Um, you know, that, that's that's a few different reasons for that, right? And I feel like since switching to uh, the the shaving butter with the aftershave balm and the the brush that comes along with it, that I just, I'm not saying it's completely 100% gotten rid of it, but it's very rare that it ever happens anymore. And usually it's probably because my blade is getting duller. And so now when I have that stuff, I just don't have that problem. Anymore, and with so. the stuff, your blades will last longer. Oh, absolutely. My blades are lasting way, way longer on my razors, which like that's actually one of the most annoying things because like, A, you know, they cost money. So it's annoying to go buy them. But B, like actually physically going to buy razor blades is annoying, you know, because I don't have the I don't have like the mail in thing. I just go grab them from Walmart or whatever. And I have a problem with that because like I'm very uh, like muscle memory type person. So when I go to Walmart, I get all the same stuff that I always get or whatever or go to the grocery. I get all the same stuff I always get half the time. If I need razor blades, I just forget. Like I'll leave and be like, son of a, you know, like I forgot to get the reason I'm here. You know, yeah. like, like you ever the, I remember I had a joke once where like I went to the grocery store when I lived in Vegas because I needed toilet paper and I went to the grocery store, spit two hundred dollars. And forgot to get toilet paper. Like, didn't even get the reason that I was there, obviously. So, anyway, make sure you check out barristerandman.com. Uh, MTG Rants 2022 is the code for 15% off at checkout. Do yourself a favor. Do your neck a favor. Do your skin a favor. Go check them out. Anyway, Ross, let's go ahead and just get right into it. No, uh, no fluff. No mess. Let's get right into this. And... The eighth place card is a card that uh, I, I was a little higher on on my list. I had a little bit higher, but like, you know, it wasn't super, super high. And this is one that I'm a big fan of. You have it coming in at number eight. And this one, if you're an aggressive mage and you like aggressive tinted cards, uh, this is one that's pretty cool for you. Yeah, this is Kumano Faces Kakazan. 
uh, a one red saga chapter one deals one damage to each opponent and each planeswalker they control. Uh, then chapter two, when you cast your next creature spell this turn, that creature enters the battlefield with an additional plus and plus one counter on it. And then chapter three, you exile return to the battlefield transformed and it returns as etching of Kumano, a two, two, uh, enchantment creature, human shaman with haste that says if a creature deal- dealt damage this turn by a source you controlled would die exile it instead. Um, yeah, really, really solid one mana creature here. You effectively get. You get one damage on turn one, you get an additional power on turn two, and then you get two more haste power on turn three. So you're sort of getting three power with a little bit of kind of haste, um, in, in addition to some of the other ancillary benefits, whether you have plus and plus one counter synergies uh, later in the game, if you you know deal one of them and maybe take out a Planeswalker with that extra damage, uh, and then you know the, the sort of graveyard disruption with the Exile Clause on the uh, reverse side. So... Uh, a lot of incidental value on top of a very cheap and efficient aggressive creature. That's generally a very good sign. Um, and uh, I think it'll be a very good one drop for red decks in standard and alchemy. I'm unsure about how it will translate into older formats. One thing that's interesting about it is that it's a, it's a creature, but it's also a spell for prowess. So I think in Pioneer, it kind of makes some sense, but those decks are very burn-centric, so they might not be able to take advantage of the second chapter as well, especially if you're waiting until after you play your Swift Spears and, and Soulscar Mages to cast it. Um, you know, Maybe the, the way the red decks are being built now, less burn-heavy, it, it can go into them, into those. Uh, I don't know how many one-drops they want. So I can see some potential for Pioneer, and if it does, then you know I will have you know, wished I put it a little higher. I don't see the card getting into modern, but definite really good card in standard for an archetype that really needs it and significant pioneer potential as well. That was enough to make the list. Yeah, huge fan here. Love all the parts of the card. There are, like you said, the timing of the spell matters here. There are a tiny bit of diminishing returns late in the game, but it still deals that damage when you play it. And then a couple turns later, you get the 2-2 with haste. The fact that it has haste, I think, is like what really pushes this card. And the fact that you're not waiting four turns to attack, you know, pretty much. Because, like, you you have to wait for your creature to, you know, come for the next turn as well. Your deck also has to have a little bit of deck building restriction. The fact that, like, you probably need enough creatures here that you're likely enough to have one for chapter two. But when you draw it later in the game, like you kind of have to like hope you top deck a creature. Cause like saving one for the plus one plus one counter probably won't be correct at that time. So like, you're kind of hoping you, you top deck one, but the way red has been going the last few years, even the red aggro decks, they generally have a decent bit of card advantage and staying power as the games go on. Like I'm thinking about Chandra dressed to kill. Uh, what is it? Reckless, whatever, you know, the, the, the draw to the delay draw to the one that exiles them, you know, Chandra's for two. It's a oh, sorcery. Uh, reckless, it's like impulse. Of, reckless Impulse. Cards like that. One card that I kind of want to try out with this is Dreadhorde Arcanist. But, like, then the building of your deck gets a little weird because, like, then you need a lot of creatures to make, take advantage of this, but then Dreadhorde Arcanist wants spells. Yeah. So, like, when I see that, I'm like, oh, that that's cool. I don't know if it's good. I see what yeah. you're talking about. Um... Mm-hmm. But I don't think right. the, the problem there is you can't really you can't build your deck in a way that you rely on getting the counter on the Arcanist. Yeah, because then if you don't get it together, your deck doesn't operate. So you're still just going to play a bunch of ones. Yeah, so that exactly. limits the upside of it. And then the card doesn't really go well in an Arcanist deck. So it's like cool yeah. to see that curve, but it doesn't really work on a, uh, in a larger sense. 
I I just want to pair it with more haste creatures. Like I want to oh, go 100%. this turn one, then like robber of the rich on turn two, oh, and yeah. have a three three robber attacking so you like just you know maximize your damage output. Hundred percent agree with you there. Like the, the the initial thing looking at it, you want haste creatures or creatures that can somehow benefit on turn two from from this plus one counter. The other card that I think works really well with this is Bone Crusher Giant because it's a creature for this later. You know, obviously you can't go turn one, turn two, but it's also like a burn spell. You know, it's a spell in your deck as well. Like, just another card that's great with Bone Crusher Giant Red, go figure, because it's, like, one of the best yeah. red cards. Every card is good with Bone Crusher Giant. Yeah, exactly. Every red card is good. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you see what I'm saying? The, the the builds around this card are pretty infinite. They're pretty good. I really like you talking about the one-drops in some of the Prowess Red decks, because it works either way, right? Like, yeah. you either play it afterwards and pump them, or you play this first, pump your creature, and, like, now it's permanently bigger. And I think one of the lessons we've learned in Pioneer is that the other there's a bunch of red one drops that look reasonable, like Rakdos Cackler was a standard staple, doesn't see play in Pioneer. Uh, you know, Fire Drinker, Seder, a lot of like just you know, one man two ones or one ones with haste and lots of abilities. None of those creatures ever have really had any impact in Pioneer. It's always been those one two for one prowess creatures as the red one drops. And that's one of the reasons that Boros Burn was the default red deck for so long, and is because it took the best advantage of those creatures. Now we're starting to see some red decks with, you know, Bone Crusher Giant, with, uh, you know, sometimes you, uh, they'll even play the the other one, uh, the three one that has a the other adventure creature. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know he's like, the one that plus two, plus oh, yeah. I just blanked on it too. The, but They're yeah. playing like just enough burn spells to make those creatures worthwhile, but I think you could you know, really bolster those decks by being able to play the high threat density that you want to play while also having the density of spells to bolster your best one drops. And so the cards that play double duty, like the adventure creatures, and now Kamano faces Kakazan, uh, are, you know, ideal for, you know, striking the right balance uh, and making sure that you, you hit all the notes that you want to hit in that deck. Sure. While we're on this discussion about the red decks and the creatures and stuff like this, I want to talk about the card that didn't make your list and would have made mine because it would have come in around this number, like six, seven, eight, or whatever. And maybe it's a card that fits around with this card because it, you know, it kind of fits some of the things. And this is Rabbit Battery. Uh, I liked this card a lot. It's one red mana for an artifact creature equipment rabbit. It's one of the reconfigure cards. So it's a one-one with haste. Your equipped creature gets plus one plus one and has haste, and its reconfigure cost is one red. Now there's a lot to like about this card, right? It's a 1-1 with haste for one. I mean, Raging Goblin is a staple in red decks for a long time, right? You know, different versions of it, blah, blah, blah. But the fact that this equips for one red mana to a creature and gives it plus one plus one in haste is huge. Because if something does happen to the creature, this just falls back off, becomes a creature with haste. So, like, here's the thing, too. If you equip something and they try to, like, kill it before you attack with it or whatever, you still get to attack with this rapid battery. I mean, they need to do it, like, in combat or whatever, obviously. But there's another haste creature. It pairs well with the card we were just talking about in any way. You know, it's just a, an aggressive card. You get the plus one, plus one counter on it that doesn't affect it while it's equipping. It still only gets, I'm pretty sure it still only gets plus yeah. one, plus one in haste. But you still have this, like, 2-2 two, two on layaway. Like, just sitting there waiting. You know, kind of thing. So it makes your opponent have to play their spells in like more awkward, specific times and stuff like that. And I like this card a lot in the fact that it, it's kind of a card that like it builds on itself in the red decks, right? Like it's a haste, you're, you're fine playing this on turn one, right? But any of the turns where you have a leftover mana, it's probably correct for you to just reconfigure this one to whatever creature you've got and you're attacking with. That way, that thing's a big time threat and you have this other creature kind of sitting there waiting for it. I like this card a lot. I think it's going to break a lot of board stalls that the Monterey decks can run into where, like, 
they play a creature, they play a creature, and the green deck plays like a 3-3 three, three for two. And you're like, okay, well, now I'll quit my two drop with this rabbit battery. Keep attacking into you. Keep my one drop now as well. So lots of like about this card. It's real flexible. It's the kind of cards I like in my red aggressive decks where they're not just 100% like one way. Well, yeah, you know? play creature, you know, attack yeah. with creature. Yeah. Uh, I agree. It gives a lot of flexibility to aggro decks uh, in a way that they need it. Um, and the I want to reiterate the point that you made about how well it plays against sweepers where you know when you have that extra mana even if it's not that relevant you can move it over next you need the option of moving it back if you, or, you know re unattaching it with reconfigure if you want to go wide um so you can you know put this on something and make sure that it's going to stay around against a sweeper because it's no longer a creature while it's equipped and then untap play a big threat equip and attack with a big haste threat and keep that pressure on uh, the other thing that I like about this card is the fact that it is an artifact. So yeah. a lot of artifact matter synergies. I could see playing this card in Is It in Soul in Pioneer. Blast. Um, yeah, you know, second to Shrapnel Blast or uh, being able to, uh, it, you know, ensoul a Dark Soul Citadel you just played and then equip it so it has haste and soul this card and then, you know, attack and then post-combat equip it onto something so that their sweeper doesn't hit your ensouled threat. Yeah, um, that's really good. Yeah, uh, there's a, there's a lot of of cool things that you can do. Um, and although, well, what what does what does Ensoul artifact say? Ensoul says enchant artifact, so um, I'm pretty sure that it wouldn't fall off. But um, e even if that doesn't work, like there's a lot of things. Like it's just a, a one drop with a lot of versatility. And if you look at is it Ensoul, like that's what Bomat Courier, Ginger Brute, and you know uh, Stonecoil Serpent are. There's one drops that do a lot of other things. Um, and Rabbit Battery definitely falls into that mode. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see this one see play. Um, not surprised to see it, you know, uh, on your list. Uh, just didn't quite make mine. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Let's talk about the one that's next on your list. And I feel like I had a hand in this one making it onto your list. Your number seven card, or our number seven card, is... Uh, why don't you go ahead and take it away? It is Sokenzen Crucible of Defiance. So this is the red uh, legendary land in that cycle. So legendary land taps for a red mana and then has channel for three and a red and discarding the Sokenzen. You can create two 1-1 one, one colorless spirit creature tokens. They gain haste until end of turn and this ability costs one less to activate for each legendary creature you control. Um, so we'll start with the, the less exciting part of it. This is just a very easy single land to put in your mono red decks. You know, just incredibly easy. All of the red decks in, you know, I could even see playing one in, like, Burn. Yeah, <laughs> you know? just play one, yeah. right? And yeah. Like, even, like, in some other formats, you, like, Standard, or if your deck wants these cards, like, you're going to be channeling it pretty often, two or possibly three isn't out of the question. Uh, yeah, um, because, it, yeah, it's pretty... You, you figure, unless you draw them all early yeah, and no other lands, three of them, you know, like... You'll be able to channel them later on, yeah. especially if you have legends in your deck. Um, but in Pioneer and Standard, this will be you know, just an automatic include into any red deck where they can very easily swap a mountain for it. You know, some decks won't be able to do that for various reasons, um, but a lot of them will. So, and I, you know, it, it's I think one of the more underrated ones of the cycle because making a couple one ones isn't that uh, exciting. But in a red deck, like you know two you know two power haste getting out of your land and then going wide around blockers synergizing with things like castle embereth which also might be in your deck 
Um, you know, maybe in a uh, what was the two mana enchantment that people used to play in red decks and standard that like when oh, you yeah, attack with a one, one power creature one power. pings them. Yeah, with yeah. Something, one power attacks it deals another uh, something yeah. calamity I think. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, and it, so it, you know maybe it powers up a synergy based red deck around that. Um, really, just a a solid effect for red aggressive decks. But the reason this card really you know goes up the list and makes the top eight is its power with indomitable creativity. Yeah, and this is where I was like, I was real yeah. big on this card. I remember your eyes got huge when I mentioned this. Oh, I was like, yeah. hey man, creativity decks. And you were you like... You can channel this on turn four on their end step and then untap, cast a creativity for for five mana, X equals two, target the two tokens, you know, and, uh, you know, essentially combo off. Like, it is Prop basically it. Splinter yeah. Twin. Right? It's Splinter Twin where one of the combo pieces is a land. Uh, and uh, th- that's really, really powerful. Now, in modern... You're not going to want to uh, play this in creativity because uh, Dwarven Mine is better because any fetch land becomes a combo piece, and that means you need uh, mostly mountains in your mana base. You play the one island and the one plains. Uh, don't really have room for any more than that. So unfortunately, Sokenzen doesn't fit into that version, but it's great in Pioneer because the Pioneer creativity deck is a straight-up combo deck. You're trying to find the Locust God and that random blue creature that combos with the Locust God and win the game with those two. So it actually sets up the combo perfectly. And having that splinter twin aspect to your deck with the combo piece being a land is really, really powerful. It makes it so much harder to play against the control elements of the deck. You know, when you pass with four mana up on turn four, they're usually going to want to play into you. Otherwise, you're going to have a turn, you know, if they leave up interaction, right, then you're going to have a turn where you just use your removal spells, clear their battlefield, untap, play something of your own, maybe a planeswalker, or now... You know, at the very least, you know, the battlefield is perfectly clear and you can spend more time setting up a creativity for three or four so that even if they have a removal spell or two, you're going to get your two combo pieces onto the battlefield. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of this card in that deck. I think it'll really at least make it a, you know, tier two viable archetype. It really is that big of a piece for it um, because it just takes up a land spot. So the opportunity cost is just so low. It means you can fit more control elements into the deck and bolster that aspect of the game while also making the combo aspect better. Um, and so, you know, it having, you know, very obvious applications in aggressive, aggressive decks combined with what I think its potential is in creativity decks, uh, has it make the list. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Just a, a card that you're going to see popping up in lists just by default, kind of like what you're talking about earlier. I think this is going to happen with pretty much all the lands, you know, like I can see a deck, not wanting one of the effects and just being like, whatever, I just don't want to, like, I guess I don't want to run this land, but it's just such a free roll on some of the decks to just play, like, you know, if you're playing 18 planes in your deck, like, just change one of them to a Ganjo or whatever, you know, like, or whatever. The white one is still a Ganjo, right? Is what it was in the past. Was it yeah. Ganjo? Okay, yeah, it's still a Ganjo. So, like, just, yeah, just change one of them to, like, you know, this spell, like, you get you get kind of an upgrade. Like, you know, the, the black one seems really cool in any kind of grindy black deck. Especially in standard right now, where a lot of them are doing that, you know, this kind of just doubles as like another copy of Blood on the Snow, you know, kind of thing for you. It doesn't put it directly into play, but like you're playing these long, drawn out games where all of your creatures have value, all of your planeswalkers have a lot of value when they die. Like I'm thinking about the black decks in standard alchemy historic right now. Pretty much every single one of them, like the creatures they play, are there to die. You know, they're all they're all there to be sacrificed to draw cards and make treasure and stuff like that too. So. Uh, just playing one of these. So I definitely am pretty high on all the lands. I'm going to be getting at least one copy of all of them for myself, you know, for, for my decks and stuff in the future. 
Uh, the next card on the list, though, uh, this is one that uh, you and I kind of like wavered on a little bit. I, I definitely have this one in my top eight. Um, this is one that I think has like probably the highest variance out of all the cards on the list. Like, there's a chance this one's really good. There's a chance this one might not I show up. Completely agree. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So this one is Moon Snare Prototype. It's one blue mana for an artifact. Uh, you can tap it to tap an untapped artifact or creature you control. Add colorless, right? And then it has channel four and a blue. Discard it. The owner of target non-land permanent puts it on the top or bottom of their library. Now, when you look at this card, Ross, are you thinking like fair or are you thinking like combo potential? Uh, I think you can do both, really. Though I'm more looking fair. I get. I didn't even thought about like paradoxical outcome decks, but. It's got to be great in those. Yeah, it's just like another card that just fits the whole theme. Uh, it can ramp you quite a bit. It's like another, um, what's the one that all the Affinity Decks run? Uh, Springleaf Drum. It's just like almost like another yeah, Springleaf yeah, Drum. Yeah, it's Springleaf Drum for artifacts. And, um, you know, honestly, a Paradoxical Outcome deck might want to play both. You know, you, you play your four Ornithopter, four Memnite in Modern, and, and four Drum and four this. And now you've got a lot more acceleration and a bunch of zeros. And then you play some Mox Ambers and your, you know, uh, Mishra's Bobbles and Emery and, and things like that. So um, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah, that's a inside. Yeah, that's a really good point. Cards like Bobbles and stuff in the future. I think this is a card that will show up in Commander as well. You know, it allows you to kind of ramp out your stuff a little bit early. You know, if you're playing like Urza or something along that, it, it allows your, you know, think about any artifact that comes into play and like, draws you a card, does anything, right? Now it's it's a mana sink. For, I mean, it's a mana rock for you as well. This is extra steps, but, like, this is just another good card because almost every artifact deck that we're seeing that's really good, it needs to have fast mana or cheat mana, right? You know, you think, I'm looking at you, Mox Opal. I'm looking at you, you know, Mox Amber. So that, or it needs to have, like, some kind of synergy thing where, like, all the artifacts that are, like... Because you play a lot of them that are, frankly, not good by themselves or not great. But then they're better when they're the sum of all the parts. It's a lot of shitters. Yeah. And this card is just both. Like, it's just, you know, it's just kind of great. And, yeah. And then, uh, like you said, fair applications with Urza. I'm also looking at pairing it with Tezzeret and Pioneer. Uh, mm -hmm. I wrote an article about Tezzeret. Moonsnare Prototype was a big part of those decks and a big part of why I think Tezzeret has potential. Uh, and I do think Prototype actually has more potential in Modern, which is why it's on the list and not Tezzeret, even though Tez is the much flashier, you know, mythic card. It's a mythic, yeah, yeah. yeah. But with, with Tezzeret in particular, now that channel ability costs two less. And you just have a three mana, you know, Aethergust of sorts. Yeah. Uh, and these decks often, because they have to play so many cheap artifacts to make the engine work, they usually don't have as much space for interaction. And so shoehorning it onto a card that you're going to play out early to accelerate your game plan and then late isn't going to do a whole lot. Now it becomes an interactive spell and yeah, a pretty good a one at that is yeah. really nice. You know, even in modern, if you don't have Tezzeret and you have Urza instead, you probably have a bajillion mana and you can afford to spend five mana to interact with your opponent. Um, so uh, that that aspect of the card, the channel ability, is really important uh, to me because I think the decks would flood a little bit too often uh, if it wasn't there. But, you know, with both so that it's good early and good late uh, really makes me like the card. Can you imagine if KCI was legal? With this card, because like not only is it a combo piece in KCI that helps you go off faster, but it also would you, you, you they'd like have their hate piece. So you'd be like in a turn, channel this on your hate piece, like untap, like go off. So it would be like good at all points. Yeah, and they they just like throw away an artifact or two to pay for it too. That like it wasn't necessary to start comboing. 
Yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's just like you just straight up, you know, bounce your needle, bounce your stony silence, but whatever. You know, like yeah, this I, I I like this card a lot. I think this card is gonna be like an unsung hero possibly as well. So like really this this is one of those ones when you look at it, the more and more we talk about it, the more and more we start putting it in decks, I'm like, yeah, it just, just fits everywhere. So like I said, super high variance, right? Like there's a chance, eh, you know, maybe it wasn't as good as we thought, just show up, then there's a chance like this is a four of it, a very good deck. I, I do think the card is just good. The, yeah, the so variance yeah. in question is whether the deck around it is good enough. We haven't really seen these artifact decks in a while. They used to be really good in Modern when Mox Opal was around. We haven't really seen them in Pioneer at all. The thing is, though, there's a lot of good payoffs. And we're getting another one now in Tezzeret. The problem has been the lack of good cheap artifacts. In Modern, you lost Arkham's Astrolabe and Mox Opal. Good riddance. In, in Pioneer, like you have Mox Amber, but it's really hard to enable. You don't have Bauble, you don't have EE and things like that. So they really just needed a higher density of good cheap artifacts, and Prototype is that. The real question is whether it's enough. Do they need another one on top of this? Yeah, you start pairing this with Emery and Psy, like two of your favorite cards, and like you you've got a deck. Like you've got a you've got a start there. Like that's a really powerful start and like possibly making mocks you know you and i talked about this i still remember like our very first episodes of the pioneer podcast you know if if you're late to to this podcast we used to be called the pioneer podcast when that first came out and we talked a lot of you know the first couple months was talking you know pretty much banned discourse like cards that were banned and you know getting banned in in pioneer or should be banned and one of the cards that was on our watch list from day one is like mox opal is has you know the, the potential to be extremely powerful in the right spot and maybe we're starting to we're starting to creep there ross like maybe we're starting to get there you know we we didn't have this kind of like cheap mana rock that can do this kind of thing and uh yeah this card possibly is going to be really good in pioneer like you said i i can see this card being really good in modern we'll have to see what happens in the standard ish and standard adjacent formats because here's the thing there's a very good chance we're getting a artifact set again I say again because nobody knew this was going to be an artifact enchantment set out of Kamigawa. Like, no one saw this <laughs> coming. You know, if you told me you're getting an artifact set this year, I'd have been like, yeah, the, the Brothers War, right? Urza, you know, Mishra, yeah, of course. And they're like, no, 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 Kamigawa. I'd be like, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> that sets about, like, ninjas and spirits. What? We're just going to get, like, you know, mech ninjas? Like, I'm, I'm in. Sign me up, you know? But... Yeah, this card, like when I look at it, I get like really, really excited. But I'm not the I'm not the person to build this. You know, like I'm the person to be like, yeah, that card looks good. Someone else, someone else is gonna break it. You know, that's not that's not me. But I can see the potential on this card. There's a couple listeners I'm thinking of particularly that are like seeing this card and probably salivating. So. Does one of them have a name that rhymes with Squee? I can't think of a name that rhymes with McClod. Yeah, sure. Yes, exactly <laughs> I, him. I tried. I'm I sorry, Lee. Your na- your uh, last name is it's too difficult to rhyme. Yeah, I was gonna kind of like leave it there because like anytime we like mention him or like something he's particularly likes, he gives me like a, a DM at some point. I was gonna see if he picked up on it and like and he DM'd me about it. But yeah, there you go. You're dead. Uh, that's completely fine. Obviously. All right. So one of the next cards that we wanted to talk about. Um, I'm pretty high on this card in especially one format in particular, but this one is really really good at being a hate card and doing a lot of really nasty things to certain decks. And, you know, you and I talked about this one last week a good bit. And this one is Itsugo Consumes All. So it's one black-red for a saga. This is one of the uh, this is one of the flip sagas. We'll get to that. Uh, the first chapter in it destroys each non-land permanent with mana value one or less. Two, exile all graveyards. Three, 
Exile the, the Saga, you know, bringing back Transformed. And it comes back as a 3-3 called Vessel of the All-Consuming. By the way, great name. It's a trampler. And whenever it deals damage, you put a plus one, plus one counter on it. And then whenever it deals damage to a player, if it's dealt 10 or more damage to that player, they lose the game. Let's start off with that last part. They lose the game. It's got like, it's like got the commander text, but for a, uh, a game of standard or whatever, which is pretty cool. The card is a threat in and of itself. You can't chump block this because it has trample. And then when it deals damage to a player, you know, it gets bigger. That's pretty good. But when we look at the front end of the card, and the card that you're going to get a lot more often, like this is what you're playing it for, right? This straight up kills a certain deck, you know. I'm thinking specifically of you, Cat Oven, in a deck that I just loathe playing against because I don't want to click this many times on Arena and pass priority as many times. This utterly hurts that deck. But I want to talk about the fact that, like, there's not just that deck, right? When you think of, like, a lot of the dominant decks in Modern, some, some good decks even in Pioneer, this is a card that you can put in your main deck and not be ashamed of it in a lot of matchups, right? Yes, and that, that's, I think, one of the key aspects of the card. It, um, you know, you look at it and it looks like a hate card. It looks like I, you know, kill cheap aggro decks and load of the ground aggro decks and, I'm, you know, I give get some graveyard hate. But because it becomes a creature at the end, it becomes a main deckable card. And that means it's not your only hate card. You supplement it with stuff from your sideboard. Maybe that allows you to open up your sideboard a little bit more and help against other matchups. Uh, and it also means that, like, this is now effects that they have to play against in game one which is a lot harder. You know, when I'm playing my white-black humans deck in Pioneer, I am jamming my triple one-drop start every single time. And if I do that on draw against this card, the game is over. Yeah, it's you're over. Of, yeah, you're thinking of killing these one-drops, kills, you know, Aether Vial later in the game's top deck and kills Death Shadows, because, you know, those aren't coming out on turns one or yeah. two unless they're kills just... any food, clue, treasure tokens mm -hmm. they might have accrued over the course of the game. Uh, creature tokens, yeah. yeah. Any um, of the cards we talked about, lots of that. Exile graveyard is pretty important. I will say this: that is one thing that actually kind of holds it back a little bit. This doesn't play super well with some of the cards that are in most of the red black decks going on right now. Because I'm looking at you, Croxa. You know, I'm looking at you, Dreadhorde Arcanist. You know, some stuff like that. You can't. Those. It's kind of a nonbo, right? So maybe yeah. your deck's a little different. Maybe this fits a little bit better. Some of the Jund builds that aren't relying on like Termagoyf. There's kind of the Rakdos Midridge deck in Pioneer right. that, that just sort of plays, you know, two and three and four mana creatures and yeah. discard spells and removal. Uh, it should be great in that deck. Uh, certainly, yeah, not not for every Rakdos deck here. It's going to be really good in, in uh, uh, Alchemy as well. This is a really, really great card against a lot of decks in Alchemy, and it sli uh, slides right into the red-black deck that I play in Alchemy and doesn't oh. hurt me at all. Like, I do have one card that interacts with my graver, but it's not the end of the world. That card's still good by itself as well. So I like everything about this card. There's there's nothing about this that I don't like. Love that the card on the back has Trample. Like I said, you can't really chump block in this either as well. So really, really, I mean, I'm not seeing a downside here. Yeah. Can, can you imagine casting this card against, you know, hammer decks? You know, blow up all your hammers, all your cheap creatures, any uh, Sigarda's aids that you might have. Uh, in Pioneer, Portable Hole and Chain to the Rocks are seeing a, a significant amount of play right now. So in those mid-range decks, when they use their you know cheap removal, that you just blow it all up. Uh, there's just a lot of things that it kills, uh, and the, you know even though it's narrow in, in what it does kill, because it becomes a creature, you can afford to put a narrow card into your deck. And that backside creature, you know, yeah, it's like a three mana three three that doesn't attack until turn six, but it kills them really quickly. You know, uh, uh, unopposed, it kills them in three attacks. Yeah. Oh, exactly. You know, you know what this kind of reminds me of? It kind of reminds me of when we figured out that uh, Elspeth Conquers Death 
was playable because it wasn't bad in like any matchup, right? Like the fact that like you could kill something, right? Which, you know, uh, good against the creature decks, right? The second ability got a card out of their hand while the creature decks didn't always have a non-creature card in their hand. It was good against the control decks, right? And then the last part, exiled graveyards, right? And that just became like really actually pretty good against most decks. Like, you know, it was actually relevant in a lot of spots. So like even the cards, the parts on here that aren't, that might not be relevant or super relevant, can still have a little bit of splash damage here or there that actually matters. You know, you're looking at like Ren and Six quite a bit in uh, in Modern, and this can kind of you know cramp someone's Ren and Six style, especially if they're going to do. I expect to see a lot of Ren and Six Besejo, you know, kind of going on their baubles or their Luris doesn't look as good. Yeah, it's good against Luris. That's a that's a, you know I didn't think about it in like that exact context, and that's that's extremely good, right? Like this card is very good against Luris decks. But that's just there you go. And it instead of really good mana cost too, only three mana. This right here is one of my like go-to cards. I think in this set, I think this this card's gonna be really good in just multi formats. And you're gonna find that a lot in this set. A lot of the cards that are high on our list, like I had this one a little bit higher when I did my list separately. Uh, though I think this this is fine, like right in the middle, because it's kind of hard to pass up some of the cards we're gonna have higher on the list here. And you're gonna see a recurring theme that we think these cards are playable in a lot of formats and stuff like that. So. Anything else you want to say about this all-star saga we've got here? Yes, I will say that I'm very glad that it's not a one-shot kill with Embercleave. It deals exactly nine. You know, f- four, sure. four first strike, get a counter, five regular damage, there you go. nine. <laughs> well, they're probably dead but yeah, <laughs> after that happens. So, uh, yeah, the, the, really... second, the second attack with Embercleave usually kills them anyway, so that's yeah, fine. Right? I just don't want the yeah. first one. Yeah. All right, so our next card. Uh, this one is a card that you're really, really high on. And I'm a little more uh, speculative. This one is the Restoration of Aganju. And I'm trying to... Give me one second. I'm, like, scrolling to the card so I, I got can it. read it. So, Tuna uh, White Saga, Chapter 1. Search your library for a basic planes card. Reveal it. Put it into your hand. Then shuffle. Chapter 2. You may discard a card. When you do, return target permanent card with mana value 2 or less from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. And Chapter 3, Exile of the Saga, Return to the Battlefield, Transformed. And it comes back as Architect of Restoration, a 3-4 enchantment creature, a fox monk with vigilance. And whenever it attacks or blocks, you get to create a 1-1 colorless spirit creature token. Um, I think the card is just an incredible amount of value. And it is also a tempo positive card. Well, it's almost tempo neutral. So you're spending 3 mana to get to not affect the battlefield initially, which is usually pretty weak. But then it immediately helps you catch up because you get to discard a card. Ideally, I, I think in, in the early game, you're going to be discarding a card that you return, you know, after you know, immediately. So you effectively are casting that card from your hand for free. Um, now, with a creature, it enters tap, so maybe it doesn't, you know, block a- immediately if that's a problem. But you can also return things like Wolf Willow Haven, and now you've ramped. Maybe in an Enchantress deck, because these are both enchant- enchantments. Um, and uh, so, or you can discard Portable Hole or, you know, something of that ilk and get a free removal spell, um, even if you're only saving one mana. Or you can just discard a land and put it on the battlefield tapped. You won't ramp that turn, but you'll ramp the next turn. So that even the default case is pretty good there. Um, then later in the game, when you draw this, you discard a land from your hand and return something that's in your graveyard. That they killed earlier, or and you know you you want to rebuy. Now you're now you're effectively drawing a second card, 
Uh, you know, you've got the planes off the first chapter. You're drawing effectively turning that planes into something else, and then you're getting your three four uh, on the back end. That three four also great at playing defense with vigilance. Those one ones importantly don't aren't immediately attacking and blocking. Uh, you know, obviously, if your opponent is nothing, you would prefer that. But usually, that's a liability because then the token rarely sticks around. So, um, I think that you know the body is solid again for three mana. Um, but I, I don't like this. Is not a modern playable card. You know, it's it's too slow for that format. But I think this card is incredibly good for standard and good enough for pioneer, especially if there's an enchanter stack that emerges, which I think there might be. So. Mm-hmm. There's already uh, people starting to mess around with that kind of stuff, so... Yeah. Very simple. Yeah, this card is definitely, like, better than I give it credit for. It's just, like, I see it, and it looks kind of slow to me, as a thing. Uh, just making 100% sure in this, you can return the card you discard on the second. Yes. Right? Yeah. So if you so discard... You, you can have Wolfel Haven in hand, yeah. discard it, return it to the battlefield. It's tapped, but who cares? It's on a land, uh, and, and you're immediately getting an extra mana boost there, which is pretty cool. Like, I can imagine going, you know, uh, turn two, you know play some sort of enchantment, maybe a, a removal spell to like deal with their first threat. Turn three, playing this card, getting your fourth land drop, then discarding Wolf Haven, returning it, playing land four, and having five mana, playing Sigil of the Empty Throne, and now you've disrupted them, and you're off to the races next turn. Yeah, Starting lots on of cool stuff. Four or five. Yeah, lots of cool stuff you can do with that second thing as well. Like, just, you can discard for value in a lot of ways. You know, there's, there's ways to cast the cards that you discard, or, like, you can cast yeah. a card that... You're going to reanimate in some way. Looking at you, black, white reanimator decks, like things like that in standard. Lots of cool things. You, I yeah, think this card is way more flexible once you get past the madness card with it. Like discard yeah, madness. Fire your temper, kill your thing for yeah. one mana, return a two drop because we traded on turn two, yeah. <laughs> and you know you're way ahead at that point. There's just a nah, lot. Yeah, there's so much. Of, like, like you've got you've got to build some little synergies in here, but it doesn't take that much to do that. And when you do, you like you get paid off really handsomely because the raw stats on the card are already fine absolutely yeah and like like you said the the it being a three four is pretty important too it doesn't just die to like all the typical one and two mana removal spells that deal three damage um i like the fact like you said that the token isn't doesn't have to attack right away you know you actually have like a blocker it has vigilance so it's attacking and blocking this card is one of those ones where like it's a little slow versus the aggro decks but i think it's good enough because, like yeah. you said, you're probably trading early to make sure your life total stays high. This ensures that you hit your land drops. And then the thing that it leaves behind is really hard to deal with, too. Plus, it filters, right? Like, you know, you're going to discard, you know, get get some stuff going that way, whatever, however you want to do it. Lots it's, lots of cool stuff to like about this. This is also a card that can trigger a Enchantress effect, like Eidolon of Blossoms, multiple times by itself. Because the it itself entering the battlefield will trigger discarding an enchantment and returning one will trigger, and then transforming and returning to the battlefield as an enchantment creature will trigger. So you're going to, you know, get a lot of value off of those Eidolon of Blossoms or Satessan Champion or whatever when you're casting this card just by itself. It's, sort you know, three built-in triggers, or two, I guess two, because the third you need another card for. But it's not that hard to find that other card. Mm-hmm. All right, what's our next card on the list? Uh, so we are now on to num- my number three. This is another card that didn't make your list, a card I'm very high on. Uh, Experimental Synthesizer. One mana card with lots of text, <laughs> which is a lot of the cards on our list, unsurprisingly. <laughs> well, this is the wordiest uh, set in history, so go ahead. Yeah, so Experimental Synthesizer is an artifact for a single red mana. It says when it enters or leaves the battlefield, you exile the top card of your library until end of turn, you may play that card. And for two and a red, 
you can sacrifice uh, the synthesizer and create a 2-2 white samurai creature token with vigilance, activate that ability only as a sorcery. So I actually wrote my article this week about this card, um, primarily in Pioneer, but there's a modern deck list too, uh, just kind of slotting it. The modern deck list is just slotting it into the Breach deck uh, as another you know form of, of card advantage because you already have Grinding Station to sacrifice it. Mainly I want to pair this with decks that can sacrifice it for zero mana so that you know, you play it on like turn three, you hit a card and you double spell, and then later in the game you sacrifice it and find another card off of it for free. Now, and if you flood, you can just sacrifice it to its own ability. But ideally, you're going to sacrifice it to something else. So I was playing things like Ravenous Intruder in Pioneer, just the, the ATOG, uh, and generating a lot of artifacts with uh, with Springleaf Drum and Magda uh, to go nuts with that. I built a deck with Oni Cult Anvil, uh, another Kamigawa card that you know sacrifices artifacts and creates 1-1s when you do it uh, in a more grindy Rakdos shell. And honestly, like... You might be able to get away with just playing this in a mono red deck, um, especially a prowess deck where you're triggering those prowess creatures. It's just digging you further and further and giving you some flood insurance. Um, at, at one mana, the bar is just so low and it does so many things uh, that I can see this card in a wide variety of formats. I could even see it in modern. To me, it, it you know this is the, a card that you wouldn't have wanted to see with uh, KCI either. Like it, this is basically Ickerwell Spring for one mana. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I'm actually I'm actually in on this card. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I definitely like this card a lot. I, like you said, I think it's flexible in the decks that it can go in. It's not just a like we talked about the other cards. It's not just a one dimensional red card, right? Um, it is a one red mana one drop that generally you don't want to play on turn one. I I can see some decks where like yeah, you just want to get the artifact out there and going and churning and and in that deck you might actually have some hits on turn one. Like you might have something like eight cards that are zero. Yeah, you know, you might, you might have, have like Thopter, you might have Moxamber, you might have Mishra's Bobble. Yeah, uh, you know, you might want to try to high roll. You know, hey, I got twelve hits here. That if I hit this, like we're going, we're going ham. You know, that kind yeah. of thing. But you're but, you're right. Most of the time, this is you know a turn three play. You know, you play it with one one man up, and now any one, any zero, any land are hits. That's yeah, kind, that's kind of the ideal for me, and I think that works well with prowess. Like usually in prowess decks, mm-hmm. you're playing out threats in the first couple turns, yeah. and then turn three is when you really start going. Yeah, and like the, this is this is pretty good against the, I mean in those decks, right? Like you said, it triggers prowess. Um, all of your cards in your deck are generally one or two mana, so you can make sure you're like on turn one I play one drop. Like on turn two I play a one drop and whatever, you know. Or if you don't have another dro- a drop or whatever, you're missing your land drop. You play this, pump your thing, possibly hit you know another play, possibly hit another land. Lots of really cool stuff here, like. There's going to be some games where this card snowballs like crazy against your opponent, and that's really good. And like you said, you can sacrifice it for value in some spots. Um, in the slower formats, you know, standard, standard adjacent, cards is going to be a ton of value in the fact that, yeah, you can just get this 2-2 Samurai. The thing, you have to do it, you have to do it as a sorcery, which kind of sucks, but then this needs to be like a little, probably a little bit later as well, because when it dies, you get to look at the you know top card and you also do that as well. Really want to sacrifice it in their turn unless your deck's all instance anyway, because you have to play yeah. the card by the end of that turn. Um, mm. You know, if sure. it was play by the end of the next turn, the card would be busted. Yeah, the card <laughs> would be super busted, busted in half. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so sacrificing a sorcery isn't that big of a deal. Um, but yeah, just another flexible card that I see easily slotting into a lot of decks across multiple formats. But you also can't respond to, like, someone killing your thing, is what I'm saying. Like, you know, someone, you know, melt down or, you know, uses a yeah. removal spell on this. Like, you true, can't true. be like, all right, well, make a 2-2 make a well, and draw technically draw a card kind of yeah. thing off of it. But, 
Um, lots, lots of oh, stuff to it, like. It also here. is a leaves the battlefield trigger. So if you're blinking Ooh, it, it works. Yoring. If you're a Yoring yeah. deck, or yeah. if you're, uh, you know, if you're bouncing it somehow with, say, Paradox Cloudcom, uh, you know, it being a leaves the battlefield trigger is definitely real. It's funny. One of the, one of the decks that I really liked this for when I first saw this uh, doesn't exist anymore. I liked it in the uh, the Popper like Atog deck. Yeah. And with Atog being banned in Popper now, I was like, oh, this card's pretty good. Another card in the set that works well, Shrapnel Blast, by the way. Just like kind of some really cool value here. You're like, play this, get something later. Hey, take five. Yeah. And, oh, by the way, let me let me look at the top card of my deck. Also very good with Deadly Dispute because you immediately mm -hmm. get a treasure off of it that you can maybe play the spell with. Uh, yeah. Those cards were fixtures of the decks in my article. <laughs> this might be pretty good with the blue one drop that we were talking about here too in some decks and the fact that, hey, it's card advantage, but then you could tap it for mana now as well. Like, yeah. lots of stuff to really like about cheap artifacts that do multiple things. Those are scary to me. When I see cards like this, I always kind of, I'm like, uh... Yeah, because this is a card that is enabling synergies while still being a reasonable card by itself. Another card really good with Urza as well. You play this, look at the top card, tap it for mana, the, the turn it comes into play, lots of... Like, I like this card a lot with Urza, honestly, too. So maybe we see a new form of Urza coming up in modern in yeah. some of these other decks so animate, you know, another card animate it with tezzeret and then when they kill mm -hmm. it you get a card you know insult and soul it lots of there's so many things and this is kind of it goes back to that theme that we were talking about you know you're going to see this a lot with the cards that we're talking about in the set especially this is what happens when you have artifact cards too a lot is these cards are just good everywhere right you know the standard standard adjacent you know modern legacy i don't know about legacy with this but you get what i'm saying yeah. you know along along those lines this is i like this card a lot so definitely a really good pick. That was our number three, correct? Yes. All right. Number two and number one. I think you can kind of guess where these were going. Um, I think these are pretty interchangeable. Yeah, with you, these two. you had them in one order. I had them in the right. other. And uh, uh, we're just, we'll, just, we'll just go with yours. It's it's fine. Yeah. So my, uh, my, two, my two, your one yeah. was Baseju Who Endures. So the green land from that cycle. Uh, its channel ability is one and a green discard. And destroy target artifact, enchantment, or non-basic land an opponent controls. That player may search their library for a land card with a basic land type, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. This ability costs one less to activate for each legendary creature you control. I do think this card was a little bit overrated when it was first previewed. I think people were going nuts thinking that it was like broken or the like, sky is falling. Yeah, yeah, and I never thought it was that good. I just saw like this is just going to be a good card a and it has a ton of applications. Yeah, you know, yeah. in especially with. Any of the the rebuy effects, Life of the Loam, Ren and Six. I think there's another one, um, but R Ren is the big one because that's in. Uh, I guess Ren is in Modern and Loam. I guess Loam is in both, but nobody plays Loam in Modern. Not uh, really. So you fun see, you see functionally, Loam and Legacy, Ren and Modern. Right. Uh, and um, and you get to keep rebuying and destroying a bunch of artifacts and enchantments, and that's really good to have against you know Hammer decks in Modern. It's good to have against. Um, you know, destroying non-basic lands in uh, in uh, Legacy is pretty good, even though they do get to search for more dual lands. But you do, you know, you know if you're pl trying to play a long game against Delver, it doesn't take that long to run them out. Um, yeah, especially because it's important. It says it says that player may search their library for a land card with a basic land type. That doesn't mean a basic land. It just has to be a land that has a type. So you can, if if you're in some crazy spot, you can also way fix your mana by getting a Triome. Yeah. Or something with this, if you're doing some crazy thing and hitting, you know, everyone always goes quarters themselves at one point in time in their life, right? Um, so, you know, there is stuff like that with Triumphs. But when you're looking at the three things that it hits, like you said, there's so many things that matter, right? Like you're looking at non-basic lands, like 
you know, good stuff in Legacy to kill. You know, some decks only run, you know, a couple lands or whatever that it can get. Or uh, creature lands is a big one here because this is an uncounterable way to do that, right? You know, because, like, you know, we talk about this channel, it's not a spell. You're just discarding it from your hand. So that's pretty big. Uh, artifacts and enchantments, just huge to be able to hit those, like, especially game one. Because some decks rely on like getting a lock piece in play, you know. You know, thinking about like some of the the classic decks in the past, you know, getting like solitary confinement or ensnaring bridge, or you know something along those lines. And this gives you that main deck answer without taking a spell slot, which is huge. And that's something that I I think it, it takes a while for some for everyone to understand is the concept of opportunity cost when you're building a deck, and you got you know. You have 60 cards in your main deck, 15 in your sideboard. That's all you get. And every card that you're putting in is taking a slot away from other cards. And the question is, like, what are the potential replacements that, you know, are there? And how much of of an upgrade is this on those? When you're talking about these lands, these legendary lands, the first one replacing a basic in most decks costs you essentially nothing. So the opportunity cost is actually zero, and you're getting a pretty reasonable effect that can, you know, in certain decks have a major impact on a game when you're recurring it every turn. But even in the you know, standard decks, just having one of these and being able to blow up a portable hole on a key turn, you know, late in the game and get a creature back or, you know, destroy their saga before it does something, you know, something really damaging um, is is really strong. So the, the opportunity cost... Uh, you know, being none is what makes these cards really powerful. It's not that the effect is over the top powerful. And you can compare that to uh, a card I've mentioned a couple times, like Tezzeret. Uh, Tezzeret is, you know, when you read it, you're like, wow, this does so much. It does so many things. But the opportunity cost of playing Tezzeret is very high. You basically have to build your entire deck around it. And that's why, uh, you know, the reason that you haven't seen the artifact decks, uh, do, you know, perform well in modern pioneer is because they don't have that base of cheap artifacts that means that the you have to play a bunch of really bad cards in order to get the number of cheap artifacts to make the the payoffs work and having that many bad cards in your deck is too high of an opportunity cost and that's why moonsnare prototype is on our list and not tezzeret because moonsnare prototype is the card that is enabling the payoffs by lowering the opportunity cost by giving you a better cheap artifact to play to enable it and a much better one than you otherwise would be playing absolutely i mean i know we've told this story before but do you remember how excited i was when the card of braid got printed <laughs> I, I do remember and it was specifically because you said i'm getting an extra sideboard slot and you were yeah. just like so excited to spend the 20 minutes in the hotel room on friday night but yeah. like mulling over which of your six extra cards you, you could play instead yeah. of having to play like a second ancient grudge and another creature removal spell yeah i now get to meld those into one card so i got an extra sideboard slot and that's huge especially in internal formats you know getting that 15th card like oh now i can play you know one other card for this matchup that's been rough you know what i mean like or i've been looking to be able to get one more card out of my deck you know and change here like you know because i remember you you'd give me a look every now and then. there were some decks where like when i'd sideboard i'd be like yeah i sideboard out three force of will in this matchup because <laughs> i just don't have a fourth card you know like i don't have a fourth card i want to bring in or whatever and it's like well now i've got the fourth card you know that kind of thing um yeah i think this card's going to be a multi-format all-star i think you're going to see this in I, I i actually mean this i think you'll see this possibly in every format even like vintage might find a spot you know, legacy, uh, and obviously not popper. You know what I mean? Come on. As if sure somebody at home is going to be like, um, actually, you know, but I think this is going to be a, just a card that 
every deck that can that can play it is going to have it. Commander decks are going to be playing it. This is going to blow some people out of the water in Commander as well. Like this is going to be if you like getting people in Commander, this is a card for you. This is going to be a lot of fun. You know, do some stuff like that. Also, I mean, you can do this on you can do this on your own stuff. It says uh, it says opponents control. I remember earlier I said you could do this to your own. You definitely can't. There's too much. This would be too good yeah. if you get your own stuff because you could hit something that like does something and dies. Plus, it ramps you. Yeah, like you, you blow you up your, your own... experimental synthesizer. You get your land. Right. <laughs> you draw your extra card. Yeah, you hit your solemn simulacrum that's already you know yeah. ramps you and you ramp more and do all this stuff. Yeah, like that's it's too much to be because especially since it's recurrable in a land, you can, you can't do this to your own stuff. So, like Ross said, card broken, card great. I think it's awesome. It's going to be in every format. I do want to get to, since we're on lands, I do want to get to one card that you didn't have in your top eight that I had in mind that uh, I think is really, really big and impactful in a lot of formats. That's Secluded Courtyard. Now, this is a practical reprint, you know, a fundamental reprint. There is one slight difference on the variations of the ones before, but Secluded Courtyard is a land that when it enters the battlefield, you choose a creature type. The land taps for generic colorless mana, or it taps for one mana of any color. And you can spend that mana only to cast creature spells of the chosen type or activate an ability of a creature or creature card with the chosen type. That's a little extra added on there, the end. The ability being activated, that, that wasn't on some of the prior uh, versions of this yeah. card. I am super high on this card coming out. I think it's going to be one of the most impactful cards coming out of the set. Um, I think it immediately makes certain decks in uh, standard adjacent or like modern decks either better or their mana better like humans just has infinitely perfect mana now if they wanted to add another version of this card yeah um, i think I they talked... were, i think they'll be replacing ancient ziggurat with this card so that way they don't ever get stuck with the oh i can't cast my vile draws yeah uh, which were exactly. very annoying um, i've had that happen i've had to mulligan of humans multiple times because of something like that um a deck that's not really around that much anymore but this would have been a very welcome card in like the bant eldrazi the colored eldrazi decks because of the fact that it's a it's a it's a it's a six color land as you you know because it casts all the Eldrazi plus the the colorless ones like it makes the colorless mana but also you can activate the ability of something like you know looking at Drowner of Hope you know what was the white one called the one that blinked um, uh, Eldrazi Displacer Eldrazi Displacer like you can actually use this land to make the the colored mana that you need to do that which was like sometimes you didn't have enough white sources you could blink one thing instead of two and that would like cost you a game or anything like that not saying that deck's gonna make a comeback but you know, this is another thing that, another card that kind of helps that out. Um, you know, helps out singleton decks too. Like if you have a if you have a commander deck that is themed, you know, it's like slivers. You know, I'm thinking of slivers. I'm thinking of some of this other stuff. This is another card that immediately uh, slips in there. Uh, I think this card is just going to be. You're going to see it. It's one of those cards. You know, people are going to go like, "Oh my god, this card got printed." Thank God, but it's just going to make. You're going to see it show up. Yeah, in a lot of places. I, I it makes agree. Them, I think you are going to see it show up. I actually have it on my top five cards for Pioneer list, which got published on SCG it's today. Big in that format, I yeah, think. Yeah, I think that's where it's going to make the biggest impact because they didn't have Cavern of Souls and Ancient Ziggurat. So this is the second five-color land that they get, and that unlocks a lot of tribal aggro mana bases that before weren't possible. It's not clear to me that there is a deck waiting to utilize those mana bases right now, but I think there will be, a, you know, ha has to be at some point in the future because those you know tribal decks only get better. Uh, in non-rotating formats, or their card pool only gets deeper. Um, so eventually, like, something will show up, if not immediately. The, one of the reasons I didn't put this card on my list is because I, I, while I think it'll show up in Modern and it is an upgrade on Ziggurat, it's not a huge upgrade, so it doesn't, you know, move the needle for me for those decks. 
It only makes them marginally better. And I've been very low on tribal aggro decks in standard for a while. And I think it has to do with the the getting rid of blocks. So, you know, the fact that they're getting enough support. Exactly. Yeah. That they, they just, every single set is a standalone and has its own different, you know, tribal themes to it. Like Kamigawa has all these spirits. We're probably not going to see a lot of those in other sets. And so they all end up self-contained and you're basically playing like single set constructed for the most part, you know, maybe a little help from a core set or one card here or there. So usually tribal decks haven't had, you know, enough juice uh, because of that. And it's not, uh, but if one does, then this card will help out the mana a lot. Uh, and then so it could see play. I'm just not confident. But oh, this 100% is a, with that. This is another, you know, it would have been sort of honorable mention for me. On the subject of, of tribal decks, there's been a black-white vampire deck that's been getting a little traction in some of the uh, non-standard formats. And, like, this this can help out a little bit. It, it does make it harder to cast some of your Planeswalkers and stuff during that. But generally, your mana's pretty decent. It just gives you another dual land if you want that can also you know, be a mana source for some of the creatures. I'd be more excited for a friendly color pair uh, yeah. in Pioneer than an enemy colored pair, which already has fast land, pathway, shock land, pain land, if, if they want yeah. it, which is usually enough. But it's something. You know, yeah. It's, it's, it's I, at I least do th- something. I do think I've seen those lists playing like one or two unclaimed territory. And they'll play this card instead because it can be black mana for Knight of the Ebon Legion, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, and you could like tap it for the ability, like I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's, it's important. All right, let's move on to our number one card. You've probably guessed it at home, a card that Ross and I sing the praises of, a lot of people sing the praises of. I think the only thing holding it back is it is a, a spell with a color identity. You know, if this is just a pure artifact, it would just be bonkers, obviously, but this card is called Lion's Sash. It's one in a white for an artifact creature equipment cat. We'll let that sink in for a second, because that's a, that's a mouthful, and yeah, I said that. It's got a couple abilities. Uh, for one white mana, you can exile target card from a graveyard. If it is a permanent card, you put a plus one plus one counter, a plus one plus one counter on Lion's Ash. Uh, equipped creature gets plus one plus one for each plus one plus one counter on Lion's Ash, and it's reconfigure two. Lot to really love about this card. Jumps off the page, right? Uh, I think the number one comparison you see people a lot with is Scavenging Ooze, right? Yeah. A little different, in fact. Apt comparison. <laughs> yes, right? Of course. Two drop does the same kind of thing for, you know, a colored mana. The problem is... seen play in every format. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, this one, um, a little bit easier on building up a big creature, right? It says permanent card. So practically most of their deck, right? Lands, creatures, whatever. Blah, blah, blah. You don't have to get just a creature. Not gaining a life, you, you're not going to be able to play it as like this good threat and you know something against the aggro decks that like can kind of get you back into a game that you're losing. But it's white and it's an artifact, which makes it pretty abusable with like Stoneforge Mystic is a really good target in a lot of these decks. And this is another card. I'm going to let you t- I'm gonna let you go with this right after I say it. This is another card. You know, sue me if you heard this again before. I think this is going to get played in practically every format. Uh, yeah, completely agree. Uh, you know, this was number one on my Pioneer list. Uh, and that's probably the format where it's worst. <laughs> um you know, uh, with Stoneforge Mystic in, in Modern, it should be a singleton in a lot of decks. It costs two, so it goes with Luris. It disrupts opposing Lurises. It gets really big. Uh, you know, uh, being able to just Stoneforge Mystic for an additional threat, if you want to, out of... Uh, the, and in particular, a threat that you can cast once your Stoneforge dies, you know, as opposed to Batter Skull or Calder Complete that kind of rots in your hand for a while. Um, I think it is really nice because... If you, if you tutor this card off of a turn two Stoneforge Mystic, is your opponent just letting your Stoneforge live and, like, hoping you don't have a big equipment in your hand already? Yeah, I think so. Like, that, yeah, I think they, they have to. Yeah, maybe. 
and and then you get to get them if you've drawn your calder complete or whatever that that you might want to have um so just the existence of lion sash is really cool i've been really impressed by the reconfigure mechanic in general uh we mentioned earlier with the, when we were talking about the the red creature that you know being able to hide your threats behind you know by turning them into equipment hide them from sweepers really really cool uh and i've generally been impressed by that this has very reasonable stats you're not really going to want to run it out there on turn two all that often. You could do that a little bit more with scavenging use, especially in Ren and Six formats. Right. right. Uh, but I don't think that's a big problem. Um, could be a, a good card in, you know, again, Artifact Matters decks, even outside of Stoneforge Mystic. Uh, just having that type opens the, the, the gates for that. Maybe there's a Pioneer deck that plays like Toolcraft Exemplar, Lion Sash, Ingenious Smith, Hotshot Mechanic, uh, and some vehicles and, uh, you know, just has lots of good value, efficient threats. Portable hole as a white removal spell that's also an artifact and good, uh, and and maybe a, you know a couple more artifact synergies thrown in there. Like that could be a deck now. Vehicle. Like, there's a lot of other vehicle synergies in the set. Uh, Lion Sash can you know be another artifact in decks like there to to get that count up for things like Ingenious Smith, the Toolcraft Exemplar. So uh, yeah, there's and then in standard it's just a good efficient threat, but you know just standing alone, absent any synergies. And I think it's really important that you say that because I think it's important to note that the card still has its ability when it's reconfigured onto another creature. So you can keep growing the creature that it's equipped to. And then, yeah, they use a spot removal spell or a wrath effect to kill your creature, right? Well, then it leaves behind this giant creature itself in Lion Sash. And then you, what you can do is you can like untap or whatever, attack them with the giant creature, play another creature, reconfigure again, and put them in that same... Like, it puts them in the abyss pretty yeah. much so soon. And I'm going to lose a lot to this card. I can see this card getting played a ton in Modern. I can see it getting played a ton in Legacy. Like, this immediately, and like, there's decks that just immediately goes in, right? Like, you're thinking, like, Hammer Time might want one of these, like, at least possibly in the sideboard as a target, you know, in some matchups. You're looking at Death and Taxes, any, any Yorian deck possibly. You know, especially when they have, like, Stoneforge Mystic and those kinds of things. This is just a good card for, like, good sideboards. Yeah, in a, um, in a Taxes deck that, that plays Yorian, yeah. sometimes those, those you know, exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, why wouldn't you just play Stoneforge? And that's right. Yeah, and, like, yeah, it, it, Artifact Matters type decks. So this is just a really good one that becomes a threat in and of itself. It's a really good mana sink. Um, the only thing holding it back from being just absurd, absurd more than it is is the fact that it costs a white mana to do the ability every time. And, uh, you know, you have to have white mana sources for that. And we'll see what that, you know, there's some of these formats, these decks aren't very good, but maybe this is one of the cards that helps push some of those decks more to the forefront and stuff. But activating this two or three times a turn is still really good. You don't need eight, you know, planes in play for this to be good. You know, eight white sources. This card is just very good. It's going to kill a lot of people and it's going to affect formats in a lot of ways in 2022 and forward. Um, I can see it in, in all of them. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So there is, yeah, there's just so much going on with it at a good rate, which has been the calling card for all of our, uh, you know, all of the top cards on the list. But in, in this case, the one that puts this one over the top is going with Stoneforge Mystic, going with Lara, or pairing with Laris, and just being a, a better standard card, like compared to Besaju. Besaju will show up in standard decks because it's just so easy to put in, but it's not going to, you know, dom this can dominate a game of standard. And by just being a like seven seven that you get to move around to other creatures and manipulate combat in your favor every single time while disrupting their graveyard if you need to do that uh and you know even being an artifact so i think uh you know 
we talked about that that this was our number one card in the clubhouse last week before we had the full set and yeah uh, not nothing past it <laughs> yeah uh a couple other things we want to talk about uh do you have an underrated card because i do have one like one or two off the top of my head yeah my underrated card for sure and this was also on my pioneer list is spirited companion this is the white elvish visionary so one and a white one one yeah. etb draw a card it's an enchantment creature dog uh, so people are liking it mainly because it's a dog and dogs are great. Of course. Uh, and, you know, you should like it for that reason. But it's also just a good magic card. You know, El- Elvish Visionary, D- Dusk Legion Zealot sees play. Elvish Visionary constantly sees play. Like th- this one has another type. It's an enchantment. And it goes really well with Rise of the Ajanjo. You know, you can discard it and return it and it cantrip again. Uh, tr- you know, trigger an Enchantment Matters deck. Having a nice cheap enchantment that can, you know, just trade off for a creature or at least block and gain you a little bit of life. Uh, while you know setting up your draws and digging through your deck, make sure you hit land drops and all that, all that jazz, um, you know, works really well. Pair, you know, you can blink it in any sort of Yorian deck, um, and so just once again, cheap card. This one doesn't have quite as much text, but it has a lot of relevant text, and it's another low opportunity cost card. It's cheap and it cantrips, so it's never going to be that bad. Yeah, I even remember at one point in time in Pioneer, there was like this mono white um, Nykthos deck. And yeah. I think at one point in time, it, it might have had an enchantment uh, tilt to it. And this yeah, is a card it did, that because you can it was def- the Heliod Ballista combo. So it had um, yeah. it had the the four Arcanist Owl to dig for yeah. both combo pieces, and and maybe this is something that can revisit that kind of deck. You know, this gives you something early to play that turns through your deck, helps you find your cards that are good, helps you find Nykthos, but then also it's just like a power card in your in your deck too because it's got the synergy parts as well. Lots to like about this card. Uh, you just it needs a deck to fit in, right? That's going to be. Yeah. The, the biggest thing for it for me m- one of my underrated card or for my underrated card that i like a lot is i have no idea to pronounce this it's mukatai uh soul ripper it's one in a black for an artifact vehicle that's a four three um when it attacks you may sacrifice another target artifact or creature if you do put a plus plus one counter on it and it gains menace until end of turn and it crews for two um this card is very powerful it gives me um what was the the two mana uh vehicle that attacked for four Heart of Kirin? Yeah, it gives me Heart of Kirin type vibes. Like, while Heart of Kirin had flying, you know, this can have menace in the right decks. And if you do that two or three times, I mean, they're going to die, right? You're gonna think, they're going to take five, they're going to take six, they're at 11, and, like, the next attack should probably kill them, because you're probably playing this in some deck like Black Red or something like that, that has, you know, creatures that do stuff when they die, right? They give you some value when they die. It does say artifact or creature, so, you know, you can, you can play a lot of cards for value that, or cards that in black and red, there's a lot of, like, creatures that come into play and then, like, make a token along with them, right? There's planeswalkers that make tokens that you can do a lot of stuff yeah. with this. This is going to be, if there is a aggro deck or a, you know, uh, Rakdos Sacrifice deck like you like, because you were a Rakdos Sacrifice guy for a while, yep. this, is a, this is a card that's going to help put that over the top. Yeah, uh, a card I actually overlooked a little bit in the Rakdos Sacrifice deck I built. Uh, it plays well with, with the gold card, too, uh, the Anvil. Uh, it says whenever a uh, a uh, artifact leaves the battlefield uh, on your turn. You get a one-one uh, token, and that's a, that's any artifact. So if, once you sack the token, that'll come back as well. But it only triggers once a turn. Um, so the the one the thing I like about it, uh, and particularly from the the perspective of Racto Sacrifice guy, is that one of the things Sacrifice decks can struggle with is real, putting pressure on your opponent. Yeah, exactly. You know, they're playing cheap creatures that, uh, you know, do something when they die. And usually those comes with, with pretty small bodies. Think things like Stitcher Supplier and Shambling Ghast and, 
you know, maybe at, at the best you're you're playing things like Scrappy Scrounger or Skyclave Shade. Uh, you don't really, you, you usually don't have like big threats, and this is a sacrifice outlet that hits very hard, um, and th that I like quite a bit. So you're you're able to get the engine going and start generating the advantage from the sacrifice synergies in your deck, while also putting your opponent under pressure, so they can choose to you know either stop your your board and, and protect their life total. Or they can, you know, maybe try to disrupt your, your sacrifice synergies a little bit more. Granted, killing this card does sort of uh, help them along both of those those uh, axes, but it really does put the onus on them to kill this card specifically. And if they don't have an answer that lines up against it, especially because it's a vehicle, so they can't portable, or I guess they can portable it, but they can't chain it to the rocks. Uh, and a lot of sorcery speed removal won't really work against it. Then, uh, and, you know, sometimes, with, especially as a black vehicle, you can set it up so that you hold your thought seize and you play your vehicle on turn two. They hold up their removal spell and then you thought seize them before crewing and see if the coast is clear. Uh, something that I like to doing a lot with Smuggler's Copter <laughs> in, in my thought seize decks. So, yeah, I think that card is, is pretty good and the, the low crew cost is also nice. Yeah, and like if you look back at the history of like the really good uh, constructed vehicles that got played, a lot of them were like the two mana ones that hit really hard. And had lower or, or, or alternate ways to crew the deck, right? Two, that's not too tall of an order, I think, um, for a lot of these decks. You know, you have a couple one ones or, or whatever. Um, hits for five pretty much the first time I attacks. I mean, this a card ends games really fast. <laughs> and you you said the most important thing when it comes to those Rakdos decks. Every single time I play the Rakdos Synergy whatever decks, I always find that like I take too long to kill my opponent sometimes. And yeah. this this fixes that problem. So you said the best thing. I, uh, you I know, can sometimes... imagine doing something like um, think about this curve. You play like turn one Shambling Gast, turn two this card, turn three you play Kalane, then you use your two one power creatures to crew. You attack, you sack the Shambling Gast, you get another treasure, and then you sack both treasures and you play a one one Hangerback Walker that because of Kalane enters with two more counters on it. And now you have a 3-3 three, three hanger back that you're ready to just put a fourth counter on next turn by itself and then sack and make fourth opters. I think that's good enough to win games of Pioneer. Yeah. I really do. Um, let's go ahead and... Do you, do you have an overrated card? Because I have one. I also I have an overrated card. All right. I wonder is, if this is the same as mine. I'm going to go first. Okay, okay, you go first. Reality Heist. Yeah, it's the same. Yeah, I figured as much. <laughs> I was like, I knew it. I know you so well. So every home, it's five blue blue for an instant. Uh, the spell costs one less for each artifact, each... I'm sorry, each artifact you control. And then you uh, you look at the top seven cards of your library. You may reveal two artifact cards from among them and put them in your hand. Put the rest in the bottom of your library in any order. I think it's like a magical Christmas land type card. The fact that you can only get artifacts from it obviously makes it really, really hard. Um, in the right deck, I do think that this card is like playable and probably okay. But I think it's going to disappoint you at a lot of times too. Yeah, the problem is, is that it's an internally inconsistent card. When you're looking at an effect like Dig Through Time, a lot of the value in it, uh, it's not just the card advantage you're generating because, you know, there were decks where Dig was better than Cruise and Cruise is a better way of generating card advantage, right? It's the card selection. And by limiting the cards, you can take it off of Reality Heist to just artifacts, you're really limiting the value of the card selection. You can't take a lot of your payoff cards in these artifact decks. You can't take your Tezzerets, your Urzas, your Emery's, your Paradoxical Outcomes, 
You know, these just aren't cards that you can find off of Reality Heist. Instead, you're finding cards that you already have a lot of on the battlefield if you're casting this card, right? Because you probably have, you're not, you're not casting it for seven mana. You're trying to cast it for two, three, four mana at most. So you already have three, four, five artifacts on the battlefield if you're doing that. And all you're doing is finding more of the thing that you already have. And you're not able to find whatever aspect of your game plan your draw is missing, whether it's a key payoff. A specific combo piece or a you know piece of interaction that you need to break through the stalled battlefield unless you're playing like portable hole so if you've got cards that overlap that are artifacts and are playing those kinds of roles uh like portal pole and in particular like um thopter founder and sword of the meek that's where things can get a little bit interesting but i i would need to see a lot of those kinds of cards in one deck in order for me to change my mind about this card so maybe in like an azorius urza deck in modern with the combo and portable holes and you know uh like esper sentinels and things like that um maybe there's something going on there but that's about the only home i could really see it and i'm not even that excited about the card in that kind of deck you know maybe it's like a one or two of um and you know a lot of people were really hyped about this card you know it, it it reads like affinity dig through time at first and you're like well affinity is broken and dig through time is broken so this card is double broken but they just don't mesh together well yeah no 100 percent. like you said it's like it matters exactly what you're getting off the card you know and like i just i feel like you're gonna have a lot of moving parts and you're gonna be disappointed when you cast the spell i think a little bit too often yeah, you're gonna see um, the three cards that you the two cards you want to put in your hand and realize that you have to put them on the bottom of your library <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly uh, I was going to say, was there uh, any other cards that you wanted to go over before we uh, moved on? Um, I think we covered most of it last week, and we, and we covered top cards this week. I think we're pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we've been falling kind of behind on uh, some of the other stuff that we've been neglecting in the show because of our stuff. So uh, I want to oh, make no, sure there's, we got there's, there's one card we should talk about. Sure, go Because ahead. it's the other, we didn't talk about this one last week, and it's a Planeswalker, and that is uh, Kaito Shizuki. So one blue black legendary planeswalker Kaito says at the beginning of your end step, if Kaito Shizuki entered the battlefield this turn, he phases out and it has three abilities plus one draw a card, then discard unless you attacked this turn, discard a card minus two, create a one, one blue ninja creature token with this creature can't be blocked and minus seven. You get an emblem with quote, whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, search your library for a blue or black creature card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. I can see this being good in the right kind of things. Uh, I'm not 100% sold on it. The fact that it gets to kind of protect itself the turn it's played by phasing out is pretty cool and good. Um, you're obviously going to have it in a deck where like, you know, you're going to be drawing a card or you're discarding for value. So you're either attacking or you're discarding for like some kind of reanimator type value type thing. And I don't know if this is good enough for that being at three mana might be too much and then uh creating this one one token with this creature can't be blocked i see this being a big time star in the commander ninja deck or you know some commander decks and stuff like that or maybe a very 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 specific deck but the decks that want this generally like are just gonna not be that good is the problem yeah i'm, I'm inclined to agree with you um that i don't see an obvious home for it i do think the card is reasonably powerful um the the minus seven is almost irrelevant. I think that's a pretty bad, even as far as emblems go, I think that's a pretty bad one. Because all it does is just set you up to get sweepered. Um, but the idea of playing a three mana 
you know, make a 1-1, and then it phases out, and next turn you draw a card a lot of the time. So, or you at least trade with a card of your opponent's. And now you've got a Planeswalker at two, and you've drawn a card, and you've made a 1-1. And you probably force your opponent to attack it, which maybe you can, you know, set up and make awkward for them. Is pretty cool. Um, I do think you have to be playing this in a deck with lots of one and two mana creatures so that you can uh, potentially plus and draw a card immediately um, if you want to. That's particularly important against red decks with things like Scorching Dragonfire, any of those kinds of effects, so that you can get it out of that range. Um... And so, and in general, like it's easy to read three mana planeswalkers and say, well, it doesn't read that well. And they're not supposed to be that powerful. And the bar for three mana is a lot lower than for a four mana planeswalker. So, a three mana planeswalker that pretty consistently nets you extra cards is pretty cool. One that's a little awkward to deal with because of the phase out, um, you know, ability on it. I think there's some potential here in the right shell, but I agree with you. I don't really see like what shell that is. I, I wouldn't I I wouldn't want to build a deck with just a bunch of ninjutsu creatures uh, because that's just a recipe for getting destroyed by instant speed removal. You know, maybe you can have some in your deck. Uh, it's also a little awkward to try to play this in a sort of blue aggressive deck because those are usually trying to play at instant speed and put your opponent off balance that way. And this is a three mana sorcery. Um, maybe there is like certain sort of graveyard decks that can utilize it that are also sacrificey that maybe you splash blue for this card in a Rakdos deck that there's there's some ideas I have for it but it was not a card that that jumped off the page to me um but I I wouldn't be surprised if I'm underrating it just because three mana planeswalkers you know they, they don't have to do a lot to be really good uh also let, let's be real the little like ninja mechanized squirrel on the card is obviously awesome true true so uh, yeah, I think for me, that about does it for the set. I mean, like, there's a couple of cards we didn't really talk about, like, that are still powerful and good and could possibly show up, but I think we covered a lot of the good stuff. I think this set is incredibly deep and really well done. I'm really looking forward to drafting it quite a bit. I am, however, pretty sad that, like, I mean, Legacy, that Standard was, like, pretty much completely killed, because I do think this is, like, a really sweet Standard set, and would have been pretty cool if we could have, like, flushed this out and stuff in the future, so I wish we could do that, but... That being said, let's get a little overrated, underrated out of the way because we haven't been doing that as much. And I know you're going to like one of these first ones. Uh, this is from Admiral Epsilon Wimbledon. Um, ooh, I really like Wimbledon. It's right, the one that going. I. It's of of all the tennis majors. It's the one I've watched the most. The one I when I started watching tennis, it was Wimbledon. Um, mm-hmm. Now the All England Club itself is kind of shit. Um, okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're, they're just like an old stuffy conservative organization. Um, but Wimbledon itself, I think grass is such a unique surface and is really cool. Um, now that they, they've slowed it down a little bit, it used to be way too much just big serving. Uh, and it's less about that now. Um, but it's still a good aggressive tennis, which I like. Uh, and it is also on at reasonable times. Like I would love to watch more of the Australian Open, but I just never can. <laughs> I, I tried i tried to watch the final but it started at like four in the morning i, I fell asleep halfway through the second set and it ended up being a five set thriller that went till 9 a.m almost 10 maybe um and, and i barely saw any of it but um so I, i'm gonna kind of say properly rated there are aspects about it that are overrated like it's generally thought of as the sort of the most prestigious of the four and it really shouldn't be they should all generally be equal but p- personally it's my favorite one 
So I'll say properly rated to balance between those two forces. All right, cool. What about Wimbledon the movie? Um, underrated, actually. I've seen this movie. I love Paul Bettany. That uh, I'll, I'll say that outright. I think he's great, uh, especially in A Knight's Tale, another very underrated movie. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, he, he's Chaucer in A Knight's Tale. Um, and he was in uh, A Beautiful Mind. He's really good in that. He's the imaginary friend. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> um, and uh, That movie's like 20 years old. Come on. But no, I, I got to agree with you. I think this movie's criminally underrated. If you look at it right now, like if you go look at the cast, it's absurd. Like, especially because it was in about 2004, I think it was when this yeah, movie came out. Yeah, something right there. Yeah, it was like kind of when Kirsten Dunst's career was like, I think, you know, starting to wane a little bit. You know, she didn't have the staying power. It was at its peak, really. Yeah, but like, I just like, I don't know. I was not the biggest fan of Kirsten Dunst in in these kind of movies as like the romantic lead. I liked her a little more in some of her more serious stuff. Paul Bettany's great. John Favreau's great. And then you go through like some of the other actors in this movie because like they were a lot younger at the time and getting started. It was a pretty big cast. But this movie is also really, really good. If you haven't seen it, uh, love it to death. It's probably one of my favorite tennis movies, even though I haven't seen too many of them. Uh, and Paul Bettany is a national treasure that is needs to be protected by that nation, not ours. But that, by that nation. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think he's English, right? Yes. Yeah, I was going to say, he was born in England, right? But, yeah. Awesome guy, awesome movie. Definitely check it out if you haven't seen it. Give me one second. It looks like it's on Stars. I just looked up to where to watch it. it looks like it's on the Stars app, and you can obviously get it on Amazon as well. Uh, good movie, definitely worth a viewing. Let's see here. Um, all right, Kyle MTG uh, Sick Breaks says portion sizes on packaged food. Um, so like things that come pre-portioned. Is that what they're that trying to or say? Or like when you get on the package, that or when you get the package, it has like you know the serving uh, size. Por- yeah, portion sizes on the back, and that's where all the numbers come from. Um. Well, so. Th- the idea of, I think, communicating nutrition info in general is a good idea. Uh, the way they do it has some issues. I'm not super well-versed in the subject, so I'm not going to go into too much detail. Um, but I all, I particularly dislike pre-portioned food, um, unless it's, like, specifically for, uh, you know, uh, bringing on, like, a hike or, or – and even then, it's just, like, you can do it yourself so easily – and it creates just so much extra waste from the packaging. Uh, like, I understand that there's some convenience, but just, like, put in 30 seconds of effort unless it's, like, absolutely necessary. I, uh, I think it's severely overrated because I think it's utter bullshit when it comes to certain things. When I get a box of cookies or whatever, or a thing of cookies, right, and it says portion size, like four portion sizes. No, motherfucker, it's one portion size. I'm going to eat the whole goddamn box, and I don't need this <laughs> negativity in my life. Get out of my face. All right, next. Well, the biggest issue is that they never show, like, daily your your percent daily value for sugar intake. Sure. Yeah. Uh, because the sugar industry successfully lobbied, uh, you know, throughout the 70s and 80s and into the 90s, which is why you saw the reduced fat craze in the 90s. Yeah. They sort of like they created a bunch of bunk science that pointed towards high fat being the problem in the American diet and not high yeah. sugar, and it was exactly reversed. Sugar, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, fats are generally you know it depends on the kind of fats, and there's a lot of you know details there. Mm-hmm. Also, something you know, can depend on the t- type of sugar. What is the glycemic index of, of that specific type of sugar, and, and how is that going to affect the spike? And then what kind of exercise are you doing afterwards? You know, you can eat a lot of sugar if you're exercising a ton and burning it off. Um, so there's a lot of details you always have to talk about. So, you know, consult a physician, 
if you're making nutritional choices and want to know more information. But yeah, the the you know unless you know more, just taking those like nutrition facts on the on the back of a box at face value is generally not a good idea. Absolutely. Uh, next one. Multiple people said Brian Kelly. This is the new head coach at the LSU Fighting Tigers uh, football team. Isn't he the he former formerly... head coach at Notre Dame? Yep, former of Notre Dame. Uh, I'm gonna go with like pretty neutral because like I'm not the biggest fan of the guy, but I can you know be willing to be turned around. I'm assuming this is mostly getting asked for me being yeah. you know, an, an LSU alum. Um, the thing that I do like is since Saban left, didn't they win the national when... title two years ago? Uh, yeah, it was the fastest turnover ever of losing a. Uh, a head coach after it's the fastest they've ever been fired. Yeah. Uh, How bad were they the last two years? Not great, but he's just not a good coach. (laughs) Also, there's, there's, there's been some behind the scenes stuff too, or whatever. So, but with Brian Kelly, uh, I do like the, the people that he surrounded himself with, like all the assistant coaches and stuff like that. Like they did a really good job hiring there. And like, they're putting a lot of emphasis on making sure we uh, recruit really well in our own backyard instead of continuing to lose players to Texas and Alabama and stuff like that, which is a big deal. And, uh, I kind of just want a guy, like like a coach that's going to come here, and I can't remember the last time we had a coach where I was like, yeah, this is this is this is the coach for fifteen years, you know, that kind of thing, like the the iconic coach that stays and just gets it right, and like you know, like Saban for Alabama. And I know he was with us, you know. I never really bought into Les Miles. A lot of these guys got saved by the guy before them, you know. You look at Ed Ogeron, he got to step in uh, with a extremely talented team, and then Joe Burrow you know, transfers from Ohio State and comes here, and we win a national title, and then... Joe Burrow was a transfer? Yeah. He was, like, third string on Ohio State. They wouldn't let him see the field very much. And then he came here, and, uh, (laughs) yeah. He's the the greatest college quarterback of all season of all time. And now he's maybe a top... He's borderline top five quarterback in the NFL right now. I mean... He's definitely top ten. It's definitely top five if he wins the Super Bowl this weekend and just, like, ascends. And it's funny, too, because, like, his line sucks. Like, if they could just protect him, he'd just be absurd. By the way, I think you know who I'm rooting for in the Super Bowl uh, coming up next weekend. Let's go Bengals. There's a (laughs) lot of LSU Tigers on this team. Um, I'm extremely excited to watch. Uh, Joe Burrow is a treasure in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Just Louisiana in general. He he will never pay for another goddamn thing in his life here. I I worry about that offensive line matching up against the greatest defensive lineman since Reggie White. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and he's not alone. By the way, that team is very, yeah. LA's whole defense is very good. So, so. Oh, like, what is Aaron Donald going to do to you? <laughs> yeah, I, I'll say this: he's going to need it. Joe's a very tough guy. Yeah, you know, he takes hits well. Yeah, you know, gets back up. Well, he's he took a lot of them it. against Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Uh, these are a little bit older. This one, this one from Cathal says Hallbreaker Horror. I think the card is shit. I think it's really. I do not like it. Um. Yeah. It really, kind of has flopped a little bit, right? Um, yeah, not just that. I just don't like card design like that. Like uncounterable oh, yeah. BS. Like well, now it's, now it's counterable in, in well, alchemy. Some stuff. Yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. Like whatever. In in, in like uh, we were talking about this the other day. Uh, so a a product just came out from Wizards where it's the uh, it's like the the, the pre made decks you know with sideboards. Remember when they did this for like for Pioneer and they did this uh, yeah. a few years ago in Standard. Well, one of the Standard decks just has Faceless Haven in it. Which is now banned in standard. Oh, but I want you to hear. I want you to hear the overall thinking of this. Okay, so Faceless Haven is banned in standard, right? If you play exactly this seventy-five, it gets the Jitte rule. You remember the Jitte rule back in the day? If you played well, the, the this was the Stoneforge rule. I'm sorry, the Stoneforge rule. I'm sorry, the Stoneforge rule. Yeah. Uh, so if you I, play I, exactly I played against this somebody doing that once, by the way. Yeah, I, I've seen it. Yeah. 
if you play against someone playing this exact 75 in standard, they get to play this banned card because it's in this deck. It's the only, as soon as they change a card out of it, they can change their basic lands to other basic lands. But as soon as they change a card from the 75, uh, it's no longer legal for you to play Faceless Haven. So Faceless Haven is banned in standard, legal in standard if you play the 75, and then it's legal in multiple other formats, but the card is different. So like Faceless Haven is now the most complicated card in all of Magic because <laughs> depending on what format you're in, it's a different card. And then depending on what format you're in, it's banned, but also not banned. So, yeah, whatever. All right. Um, gold says Skyline slash Gold Star. I'm not sure if Gold Star is... Are they... Is this Chili? Like the Skyline Chili I, That's place? what I'm assuming. Um, overrated. Just because, A, I don't have it here. And, B, it's Chili with, it's chili with cheese on it. Like, we, I could just go to the grocery store well, and make Chili. The, the key is that it's Chili on top of Spaghetti. That's yeah, how they it. do it. Like spaghetti sucks, right? It's mm-hmm. like the worst. It's like one of the it, worst noodles. It's, it's it's near the bottom. It's not angel here, yeah. but it's bad. Chili is like chili. Chili I'm, can I be can't. really good. The, the they also put cinnamon in their chili, so there's a sort of what the fuck. Yeah, there's a background <laughs> of, of cinnamon in, in Cincinnati is it, is chili. Is it good? Well, cinnamon is good in savory applications. It's often found in savory applications in Indian food. I'm but, asking, is it good in chili though? Um, it, it can be. It, it's it's about balance. You, you you can't overdo okay. it, and it can be I, a little. I will admit weird. I'm getting hungry with this discussion, so but I think that's just me being hungry. The, the, the other issue is that our palates are used to only finding cinnamon in sweet applications, so we right. read cinnamon all the time as sweet. So Makes it can sense. take some getting used to in that sense. Uh, but uh-huh. cinnamon is a part of garam masala, the Indian spice blend. Um, I actually I like, just I like every, everything Indian. So. Yeah, uh, so it, it's just about. You usually have to balance it with some heat too. Cinnamon hey. with with some uh, some heat, so it's sort of like that fireball-y kind of thing. If, if we can, can we get Indian food in Indianapolis? Like if we if we go to food together? I mean, if there's a good place. Oh, I guess that's a cool announcement to make on the show. We can we can talk about that over the next one. You and I will both be at the uh, SCG Con in Indianapolis. Yep. So uh, if you're a fan of the show, make sure you come up to Ross and I. Ross, do not forget the tokens, so we can give out tokens to, to fans on, of the they're show. They're on my desk. Right? Put them in whatever you're go- like. <laughs> pack them now. Like put them with your deck box or something. So <laughs> anyway, uh, Cathal says beer. I'm gonna go with. Uh, I know you're gonna you're gonna hate this. I'm gonna go with this. I'm gonna go with properly rated because part of it is overrated to me in the fact that it's just a million empty calories to drink and like it's a it's a thing that I've cut out of my diet because of that reason. But I will admit it tastes really good. It's not empty calories if it's delicious, Tannen. Is, is that the rule? Is that, is that the line? Sure. Yeah. Would, would, sure. Would, would you call ice cream empty calories? Y- yes, and also I can't have it. So, <laughs> But it's delicious. But, it makes my right. life better. Under, Under, uh, so, hold on. I have a long rant. Yeah, sure. Um, oh, God. Okay. <laughs> you, come on. You had to expect I, this. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I love you, Ross. Yeah. Here's the, thi- here's the thing about beer that um, a lot of people don't understand that it is, it's so incredibly varied in what you can do from a stout to an IPA to a sour uh, to wheat beers to saisons to barrel aged beers in, in a variety of different ways. And then you're so there's so much beyond the typical like crisp lager or pilsner that you're generally used to drinking. And that's what you associate with beer uh, because, and the reason this is, is because. Um, after prohibition ended, they did not revoke laws against home brewing until the Carter administration in the late seventies. And so you it's really difficult to build up a, 
um, you know, a um, an industry of small craft breweries, if you don't get people started as hobbyists, and it was impossible to be a hobbyist uh, until the Carter administration, and you actually, if you trace the history of the current craft beer industry, uh, which has you know grown considerably in the last twenty to thirty years, it starts in the eighties, shortly after the uh, you know re-legalization of home brewing. The first big one is is the Boston Beer Company, and that's their major brand is Sam Adams. Uh, started in I think eighty four, uh, and then in eighty nine you have Stone. Uh, in ninety three you have Dogfish Head. And yeah, I'm sure like uh, Goose Island is somewhere in there probably. Uh, I think Anch- I'm not sure when Anchor Steam started in San Francisco, but I think they were early too. Lagunitas is probably around there, um, and, and it really starts exploding in the in the 2000s. So um, we d- we didn't really have the opportunity uh, to grow up with this industry around us until now, uh, and so a lot of people I found like don't really understand what how much variety of beer there is now. And that's actually one of the benefits uh, we've had from starting so late. If you go to European countries, they're very strict in their brewing traditions. Like every town does in like Czechoslov- in the Czech Republic, sorry, uh, does a uh, does a pilsner, right? Like that's the Czech beer, and that's what they drink. That's beer to them. Germany, you know, depending upon where you are, there's there's more variety, uh, but you gen- they generally stick to those German uh, styles, whether it's a Hefeweizen or Doppelbach or a Schwartz beer or a Maybach or an Alt beer, a Marzen for Oktoberfest. Um, and then there's like the Trappist traditions in Belgium, uh, you know, French farmhouse ales um, in England or in Ireland. You basically only ever get Guinness <laughs> and in England, uh, yeah, you, that's not exactly true, but uh, and in England, you you know, you get the the beers everyone's used to. We've had a we we actually have more variety here, I think, in the United States. Part of it is just population and geographic size, but it's also because we're not uh, beholden to any long-standing tradition. Um, so, if you haven't been a beer drinker in your life, I encourage you to you know find someone who is. And maybe seek uh, advice from them. I've definitely, you know, been able to sit down at a restaurant with someone who says, I don't like beer, you know, pick out something for me. And I ask them a couple questions about what kind of flavors and things they like. And I can usually pick one out that they're like, oh, this is pretty good. Like, I can drink this and enjoy it. So uh, underrated on on that aspect. Cool. All right. Uh, I like my answer to the next one. I'm going to answer this one really quick. And then you can. This is from Flackle. It's Beats. Uh, The food, overrated. The band, underrated go doug um both underrated go doug yeah i need <laughs> more allowance you're the lady <laughs> all, right. all right let me see what's next uh i'm gonna i'm gonna skip a few here uh gold says the 90s um i'm gonna go with overall overrated uh like just like mentally remembering it like the style clothing hair and everything out of it was pretty bad the music though pretty good especially like early 90s but um i'm gonna say underrated because it's kind of the last time that we were collectively optimistic about the future mm-hmm. like at, okay. you know okay. the, the, the when the tech boom ended right around like 2000 early 2000s and then you had the war in iraq you had 9-11 and then the war in iraq and then 
the recession in 2008, and it just it seems to have progressively gotten worse. <laughs> and mm, our, you sure. know, our collect, you know, and but the 90s, you know, with the, especially the tech boom towards the end, but even throughout the decade was generally, uh, you know, economically pretty good. Now, obviously, um, you know, I'm speaking from a very specific perspective here, and I probably shouldn't be, but um, at least then, like. You know, I I can imagine some level of collective happiness that I just can't imagine right now. I actually remember most of the 90s as well. So, all right. Uh, next one is from Joe, Mr. English, Borderless Lands. I'm going to go with underrated. I actually like my uh, lands being more art, so they're easily discernible for me and my opponents. I like my lands to look like magic cards, which is why I play <laughs> Mirage and Beta Basics, so overrated on all of this fancy crap. I just I, I love how curmudgeon you are, an old man. You are. So just, <laughs> I knew where this was going. Um, this is a really good one from from Kyle MTT uh, Sick Breaks uh, Southworth. Um, I think this is underrated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's massively. So. I think it's massively underrated. Um, also, I think it's important for you to have a healthy relationship with your self worth and making sure that you're thinking about it the right ways. I see a lot of people, especially in our community. I think this is a really good example that. Uh, equate their self-worth to how good they are at magic and their results and that is a very very bad way to think about yourself it's uh not good for anyone involved you matter way you matter right like that that's the sentence you matter right know that you matter to people around you the people who love you the people that you know you're important to in your life you know think about think about the way you you think about the way you are to your dog you know to your pet like how important you are and stuff like that who gives a shit what you did at the last PTQ, what you did at the last FNM, what you did at the last Grand Prix. It doesn't matter, right? But you do. Remember that. Good talk. Good talk, yeah. Uh, Yeoman 5, Sun-Dried Tomatoes, massively underrated. They are amazing in pasta. Um, I'm going to say properly rated. Uh, so fla- flavor-wise, excellent. This is concentrated tomato flavor, right? But the, the texture of Sun-Dried Tomatoes uh, can be sort of like rubbery to me and that i don't really like um you get better sun-dried tomatoes and uh, but one of the things that i do with them that i that i quite like is put them in a risotto and i i blend them with some olive oil and um you know different seasonings and make us a, a, a puree and incorporate that into a risotto and it basically just tastes like pizza it's like pizza risotto and it's delicious. That sounds amazing. Yeah. So, it's National Pizza Day apparently today, and I am so hungry. Like an unhealthy amount of Parmesan cheese, good vegetable yeah. stock, and arborio rice, sun-dried tomatoes, and you know typical Italian seasonings, mm-hmm. basil, oregano. Those are really the All only right. two you need. Rapid fire. Fried green tomatoes. Um, Overrated. Agreed. Uh, the movie, too, as well. Uh, cherry tomatoes. Underrated. Also underrated. These, these are tomatoes that I will eat. Yeah. Um, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. No idea. Probably underrated because his movies are a lot of fun to watch if you're not sober. All right. And uh, <laughs> I think that's... Wait. Someone said the tamako. Is that the is that the thing that tamako. Homer makes? Yeah, tamako, yeah. Is the thing that Homer makes? With its, okay. Yeah. We're not going to get into that. Underrated. Right. Yeah. Underrated. It does taste like, like grandma. <laughs> yeah, it does taste like grandma. Yeah, I can see this episode in my mind, but I probably haven't seen it since the actual 90s. So, <laughs> all right. 
Uh, I think that's going to about do it for this week's episode. Make sure you do check out our sponsor over at barristerandman.com. Like we said, MTG Ranch 2022 to make sure you get 15% off at your checkout. Ross, if people wanted to hear a little bit more about your magic musings, I'm sure they're going to hear how you do in Philly and what's going to go on in there. Where would they go? Best place to find me is on Twitter. I'm at Ross Hunnids. Uh, just good way to keep up with all of my magic comings and goings, especially now that I will be leaving SCG at the end of the month. Uh, probably going to be doing some independent content for a little while, uh, unless I find a good other gig. So keep abreast of my Twitter to find updates on that. Then, um, at least for the next couple weeks, you can watch versus live. Uh, you know, <laughs> oh, it's we're, so sad, man. <laughs> we're we're doing so. We're this is a, we've got five episodes left as of this recording. And we started, this is a Wednesday, we started yesterday with our sixth to last episode, um, and we're doing, for the last three weeks, we're not doing any previous season stuff, we're not doing any, like, normal versus live things, we're just playing decks that we've enjoyed over our Magic careers, and we started this week with, yeah? Are you, I was gonna say, sorry to interrupt, I was, like, I've been watching it, it's great, you know, seeing y'all do this, have you considered doing one with, like, the best decks you didn't play like the best decks you never played you wish you had um like we did not consider out. that we already have the rest planned out so sure. okay we're not Don't changing but yeah um you know but we're so the, fear change yeah the, this week's episodes are recapping scg tour uh decks that we've played so uh cory's day was yesterday if you didn't see it he played um so his more recent decks because he was on the tour recently he played john dinosaurs that he won a team open with the blue-white control deck with, like, Dream Trawler and Elspeth Conqueror's Death, the sort of tap-out control deck um, that he also won a team open with. And then the uh, the Teamer Urza deck that Team BCW came up with when Urza Oko was in the middle of dominating everything. We pl- we had Galv Blast as our removal spell because he killed everything. And we also had uh, Experimental Frenzy, which was busted. <laughs> um, yeah. So that. if you if you want to, re- you know, remember those decks so you didn't ever get to see them, uh, that should be on the YouTube channel now, or at least will be by the time you're uh, listening to this. Uh, you can watch the VOD, and then mine will be tomorrow, which will you know you won't be able to see. So if you're listening to this, that will also be on the YouTube channel. Uh, but the next two weeks, we're going to be covering you know GP decks and Pro Tour PTQ decks. Um, so if you want to come see the you know our favorite decks from uh, our history, get a glimpse of maybe decks you never got to be around for if you're relatively new. Uh, these last couple of weeks of Versus Live are going to be super fun. Still 1 to 4 p.m. Tuesday and Thursday uh, on the uh, Star City Games Twitch channel. And then the VODs go up the next day on the YouTube channel. So appreciate uh, people tuning in to the last few Versus Live episodes uh, probably ever. I mean, I guess never say never. It might come back eventually. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm guessing if it comes back, it'll be with different people. This is all an elaborate thing just to get rid of Ross. Yeah, yeah. Everyone else is going to get rehired by May, and then I'm just going to be sitting home alone. It's going like, to be well, raining only over me inside. You have the John Travolta meme. The John Travolta meme, you know, where he's like, yeah. he's like looking one way. He's like, what the? What the? What the? <laughs> uh, and then finally, there is my Twitch channel. I promise it's coming back. Um, if you want to toss me a follow there, uh, so you get a notification when I do, I'm Ross underscore Miriam on Twitch. Tannen, if you want to, uh, hear more about your comings and goings, especially now that you're a, a fab superstar, where <laughs> oh, will Oh, absolutely. Go? Uh, you could find me on Twitch at, under just Tannen Grace. Uh, that'll probably be going live sometime tomorrow in a good bit over the next week or two, depending how much I like this set or not. I have a feeling I'm going to like it. And you can find me on Twitter under the Tannen Grace. Uh, lots of announcements coming up on that. Um, nothing that I could say right yet this minute. 
But I will say this. If you like Fab, you know, Flesh and Blood, or you like any announcements of it, there's a few in the pipeline that are going to be pretty good. I got, we got we got some stuff to talk about, you know, coming up soon. So I'm uh, I'm really excited about what this year is going to happen with that. Hopefully all this works out and things like that cuz it's going to be it's going to be the year it's going to be the year of Tannen. We're we're going to we're going to have a good one. So I'm I'm excited for that stuff. But Tannen I'm also go ahead. Tannen they have truffle naan at this restaurant. I mean, I'm in, Ross. Ross, you had me already, all right? You had me already. <laughs> Once you made the sale, now we, stop now we might be Now we might be going twice, okay? All right, anyway. Uh, thanks for listening to this week's episode. It was an absolute blast for us to record. Hopefully, you're having just as good a time uh, getting it done. I will say this. Find Ross and I in Indianapolis. We will have signed tokens for you. But that means we're also bringing all the extras and signing those too. So uh, for some of y'all that have been patrons of the show for a while and haven't gotten anything from us in a while, be on the lookout in the mail. We might be asking for some of your uh, your mailing addresses sometime soon. So, uh, and then we got a few other things in the works too that we might be making an announcement sometime soon about and have some cool stuff. So, uh, be on the lookout for that. Anyway, thanks for listening this week, and we'll see y'all next week. Bye.